I just say, y'all sound really good, really good. There are moments, you don't know this, but those, typically those songs right before I stand up here, I, I don't sing. I'm praying and listening, and sometimes that's all I can do is just listen. Um, over the last few weeks, uh, you've heard me mention the reality, and this reality really ought to elicit a great deal of compassion from us for people around us the deep spiritual heart exhaustion that comes from not knowing who you are and why you're here, uh, the profound sense of, of um, anxiety that, 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 that can start churning up in, inside in the different ways that we try and cover and compensate for that. Uh, we are, all of us, made in God's image according to his likeness, that is to say, all of us every single man, woman, and child that has ever lived and breathed on this earth made it his image according to his likeness, um, hardwired to have answers to the big questions like, indeed, who am I? And why am I here? And what is my purpose? And, and, and such things. Hardwired to have answers to such questions. So when you don't have the answers to those questions, it can be profoundly disturbing and profoundly disrupting at the deepest level. And I would say, again, draining. Draining, just draining life right out of you as you try again and try to compensate. And there's this profound fatigue that can set in as you are trying to not just come up with answers, but perhaps even create the answers on, on your own. We're, not made to, made, we're made to have the answers, but we're not made to come up with them on our own. And so that can be tremendously draining and exhausting and fatiguing, and over time producing a great deal of anxiety and perhaps even a sense of futility because you begin to wonder, are there any answers? Are there any answers? And that's not new, that struggle, what I'm trying to describe here, that dynamic, that is not new to the 21st century West. That is just a human thing, just a human thing, east of Eden, ever since the fall. And into that comes these words of invitation from Jesus. May we hear them. Into that come these words of invitation from Jesus. So if you have a Bible with you uh, now, it's going to be on the screen as well. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Uh, this is, I believe, the fourth in a short little series asking the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and coming at the answer mostly through the lens of the gospel of Mark? Okay? So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus through the lens, answering the question, through the lens of the gospel of Mark. And you may be wondering to yourself, wait, I thought that was the text last time he was standing up here. And you're right. You're right. In fact, the verse we're going to drill down on today is it's not even all those verses. It's just one verse, verse 17. And, and I heard um, or read one writer that was reading just this past week describe an experience he had years ago at a conference in which the speaker told me, I think it was a group of college students, and, and uh, Will, you can try this if you want. Uh, let me know how it works. Um, he, he said, she, she said to the students, okay, I want you to just take verse 17, and for 30 minutes, you know, be quiet, 
for 30 minutes, write down 30 things you, you are learning here in one verse. And you say, what? And I don't know that 30 is enough. When you start really delving into how profound this is. Okay, so Mark 1, verses 16 through 20. Hear now God's word. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, let us uh, pray together for just a moment. Lord, what a profound cadence twice right here in the record that Mark gives us of what was transpiring there that day by the Sea of Galilee. You saw, you spoke, they heard and followed you. And that, has, that cadence has repeated itself innumerable times since. And if we know you here this morning, it's because it was repeated in our own lives. You saw, you called, we heard, we followed. We ask that you'd help us to understand a bit more as to what it means to hear your call and to follow you. What do you have in mind for us? What do you, what, what are your designs? What are your purposes? What are your desires for us as your people, as your disciples, as your followers? What does it mean? What does it mean for each and every one of us? Some of us here uh, are pretty well versed in that and just need to be shored up. Uh, some of us here this morning uh, have had a lot of confusing messages over the years uh, pumped into us and, and need to, that to be straightened out. Uh, some of us here this morning are coming with fairly blank slates and, and simply need uh, you at this, this moment to inform and teach. And really, though, that really is the case for all of us. We are looking not to, certainly not to me or anyone else in the room, but we are looking to you, for you alone can see, you alone can touch and reach into the depths of our hearts and change us, since that's what we're asking for now. Amen. Well, there are a lot of character arcs that can be traced through J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, quite a few character arcs, and, and when I say that, perhaps a few different individuals come to your mind. Yes, Frodo. Yes, Sam. Yes, Aragorn. I would argue there's another one to be added, though his is a bit abbreviated, and that's Boromir. Uh, the character arc of Boromir. Now, let me just kind of back up and explain uh, what I mean by, by that. So, Boromir is heir to the steward of Gondor. He joins the Fellowship of the Ring only to fall under the, to the lure of the ring. And therein, towards the end of that first book, the first of the films, he tries to steal the ring from Frodo, only to come to his senses, you might say, repent and then give his life, sacrifice his life to preserve, to protect, to defend Mary and Pippin as these orcs are coming in through the woods to try and take them away. He falls. 
He's killed. Before he breathes his dying breath, though, Aragorn comes upon him. And in the book, there's a, there's a beautiful dialogue that ensues between these two men. I want to read it to you. His final words. Uh, Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. To which Aragorn replies, No, you have conquered. Few have gained such a victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. And Boromir smiles, this is in the book, Boromir Boromir smiles and then breathes his last. Now, something else happens, though, in the film. And it's not quite the same dialogue, but it's summarized pretty well, and it goes a a step further. And I would add, I would argue, and this sounds like blasphemy, but I would argue perhaps it might even be an improvement on the dialogue. Yeah, I know. Put your stones down. Uh, It might be an improvement (laughs) over... Tolkien's uh, original words. In the film, this is what, this is actually Boromir's last words. I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. Boromir recognizes Aragorn no longer as a rival to power, but as his rightful ruler. Love for and loyalty to a king can be a powerful motivation and a profound source of direction in your life. It's it's like the rudder that sets your course. It's like the wind in your sails that propels you forward in the direction that you were meant to go. Now... um, How so? Because the king, the king's purposes become your own. You adopt the king's priorities as your own. His desires transform your desires and become, in fact, your own. Your heart begins to beat in cadence with his. What of King Jesus, right? What are his purposes? What are his priorities? What are his desires for his people? Well, we have it, at least part of the answer right here, yes, in Mark 1, 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This is Jesus's desire for us. This is his intention. This is his plan, his purpose for us. This is Jesus' desire for us. It should be ours as well. It's very simple, right? Given who he is as the great king, this is his desire for us as his people. Therein, that should be our desire for ourselves as well. Now, how do we see this in the text? What do we learn in the text of perhaps how this might flesh itself out and the path this might take us on? Three points there in your, your outline if you've got it. Uh, in the bulletin. So first, there's an initiative that we see here that's worth considering. There's a progression that's here that's worth considering. And there is an intention here that's worth considering, okay? So initiative, progression, and intention, all right? All three of which are very much worth our, our grappling with and understanding. And it's all there in verse 17. So we can actually just kind of keep that slide up there of the scripture reading. Just go ahead and 
put it up and just keep it up because we're just going to keep looping right back to that again and again and again, okay? So again, verse 17, let's just, uh, you'll have it memorized before we're done. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Okay, so the initiative, how does this start? Where does this come from? What is its origin? Where does it lie? Clearly, this call does not, this path does not originate with these men, right? Um, And I said this a few weeks ago, but I want to remind you of it. This is what you see transpiring here is completely counter to the customs of the day. The customs of the day were: look, if you're in, in, if you are desirous of following a rabbi, it was up to you. The onus was on you to seek one out, to compare the options, right? To do your Google search, to to, you know see what Yahoo says and reviews and everything of this rabbi, that rabbi, and then make your call, make your choice. You decide. You decide which rabbi you're going to follow. That follow. That was the custom of the day. That's not what you see here. At all. That's not at all what we see here. Here we see the call of Jesus operating at a profound level within these, the hearts of these men, and they respond. Something comes alive within their hearts, inflamed. Something comes alive within them, and they follow him. Jesus, we know him elsewhere in the scriptures to be the agent at creation, speaking all things into being. Read Colossians 1. There it is, Okay. Jesus is the agent of all creation. He is also, here we see, he is the agent of recreation, of new life, not just first life, but new life, of, of new life. So it certainly does not lie with us. I want to just, before we go any further, though, also just to come to mention this, if I, if I may. Not just where the initiative lies, but just the simple fact that the initiative exists at all that there could be one who would speak in such a powerful way and transform our lives, that there, is, there, there could be such a one and is. It's a, it's a profound thing just to think about here for a moment. So Jesus is, I've said this before in the series, is not interested in any way in, in being our, a, a, a hard advisor or contractor whose advice and counsel we are then free to accept or reject, to do with it what you want. He's, he's not an add-on. That's not, the, that's not the Christian life. Become a Christian, accept Jesus into your life, and it just sort of bolsters everything else you had going on. No. <laughs> he's Lord. He's King. His authority, His rule, His word is all-encompassing. This is not... An add-on in any way. He is the sovereign. He is the king. We are his. And from the very start, it is all of him. We are his. And from the start, the fact that we are his is of him. The initiative is, is, is all of him. So two things before we move on to the second point. I, I want to just prompt you with in terms of questions. So the first being, how have you seen his initiative playing out in your life? That's a question worth asking. I touched on it a few weeks ago. I just want to kind of come back to it because it's, it's worth asking. It's worth every follower, every disciple of Jesus asking this question, looking back over the course of their life. How have I seen the work of God 
evident in my life, that, that would become a profound source of personal praise and worship in your life, the, the, the greater the degree to which you can look back and trace the history of his fingerprints upon the pages of your story. So how have you seen this work, this initiative, playing out in, in, in your life? Something else, though, and this is a little different, but it's, it, it's still tapped, tapping into this, this first point, and that is his authority. The fact he's not an add-on, that he is the king. How, how do you regard his authority over your life? Do you, and if so, how do you? Is it evident? How is it evident? Does it show forth in your, your, your bank statement, your, your diary, your calendar, your to-do list, your life plan? How does it show itself? How does it show itself? Do, do you think yourself to be a self-made man or woman, a self-directing man or woman? Do you know yourself to be not an owner but a steward of everything, of everything, of the breath that's in your lungs, those, that's right, those two sacks in your chest? Do you know that the air, the breath in your lungs, you don't own that? You're a steward of that, of every thought that crosses your mind, of every word that escapes your lips, of every step that you take, every degree of talent that you possess, every minute that you live, every dollar in the bank, all of it, all of it, with no exceptions, you're not a, you don't own any of it. You are but a steward. That's the implication of, the implication of the fact that he moves with this force of initiative in our lives as the king who calls Again, the words here, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He is the king. This is his desire. It ought to be ours as well. Okay, that's the first point, the initiative. The second is the progression. Uh, how does this unfold? Uh, what's the pacing of it? What does it look like? Well, again, let me just read it again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of you know, mix the enunciations just a little bit. Uh, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. And that needs to be emphasized because clearly, even in the Greek, it's, it's clear that uh, this is not something that's, that happens all at once. Yes, there's a change of direction when, you, when you're a follower of Jesus. There is a, a change of direction. And some of you may remember the, the definition of a, of a disciple that we've been operating off of over the last few weeks. A disciple of Jesus is someone who has heard the call of Jesus and responded by repenting and believing the gospel and following Jesus. So yes, there's a shift, there's a change. But it's not an instant transformation. It's not like this electrical jolt that just changes you completely through and through. Like all at once. It's not a magical incantation that comes over you and you're just, you know, instantaneously different. It's not like in the Marvel universe 
okay, with the super serum that changes Steve Rogers magic, well, not just like, I don't know, scientifically, whatever, into Captain America. It's not like the radioactive spider bite that Peter Parker gets, right, and becomes the amazing Spider-Man. Those are instantaneous. It's not like that. It's not like that in the Christian life. It takes place over time. I will make you become fishers of men, slowly but surely and surely but slowly. A deep inward transformation that's working itself out. So yes, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be evidence. There are going to be external signs, but there's also going to be a lot of ebb and flow, an ebb and flow. And if you want to ch chart this out on a line graph, yeah, sometimes, I guess the average goes like this, but there are a lot of zigzags going up that line. Maybe you're in one of those downward spots, the troughs, as C.S. Lewis used to refer to right now. I don't know. Take heart. But don't get cocky if you're up at the top one either. Surely but slowly, slowly but surely. Also, note this. We also grow and progress at different paces, at different rates. He works with us personally, individually, addressing this issue in my life and this issue in your life, even at the same time, but at different ways. According to his wisdom, we become fishers of men, and that's a progression that takes place. The becoming differs from person to person. The work is different person to person. Now, think about the implication of that, how we need to apply that. Let's bring this down from up here, right down here on the ground. What that means, that means that because the, his work in my life and your life and the person to your left and right and front and back is going to be different at the same time in different areas and different pacings, you think maybe that might make community and shared life together interesting? Perhaps even at times painful? Can I get a shout out to 2020, 21, and 22? In some of the ways we've treated each other? the thoughts and the words and the actions towards one another and the assumptions that we've operated under? Oh, well, if this is the way Jesus works in my life, well, I guess it's the way he ought to be working in your life. In the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> Pacing. One of my seminary professors was fond of saying, humble people tend to get along. And that's absolutely true, but there is a corollary of that. Humble people do get along. Proud people don't. This is Jesus' work in the lives of his people. It's his initiative, and there's a progression. 
and it's different one to another. Again, Mark 17, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. As progressing as his desire, goodness gracious, it ought to be ours as well. Our hearts tracking with his own. Which takes us to the last point. You might be wondering, when is he finally gonna get to this? Well, here we are. The intention. So not just the initiative and not just the progression, but now the intention. So what does he have in mind for us? Where is this train going? I will make you become fishers of men. Now, what does that mean? Okay, let's drill into that for a moment. What is required? Let's just think of this prime cut of individuals that Jesus is taking this initiative here with Mark 1. I'm being sarcastic when I say the prime cut of society, these fishermen. I'm not saying they're the, the bottom rung, but they're not, you know, we're not talking about the elite here either, okay? We're talking about guys on the docks, so to speak, who tended to be rather profane, just saying, but who also... Uh, were anything but pretentious and had little patience for people who put on airs. They're just real. These are real salt of the earth, freshwater, salt of the earth fishermen, okay? A surprising pool, I think you could argue, of individuals that Jesus is drawing from here. So asking, you know, wondering what is required? Well, goodness gracious, I mean, who is he picking from? Well, maybe that should hearten us because actually what is required is simply this. And you see, following their example here, hear, drop, leave, go. Hear his word, drop the nets, leave the boats, go. And that's still the only requirement to be a follower of his. That's still the only requirement, to hear, drop, leave, follow. That's still the only requirement. What does it involve? What does is what is being a fisher of men involve? Well, it might be helpful at this point to just think in terms of you know, this image that, as you can imagine, you know, these guys, they've just, I mean, they're, this is their calling. They know fishing like, like they know breathing like they know eating. They're standing there at the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've just finished or, and or are preparing for yet another venture, right? So that's the context in which Jesus is using this image of being a fisher of men, okay? So I'm gonna read you this entry from a, a scholarly encyclopedia that, that, that helps on this. The method of fishing characteristic of New Testament times was the dragnet, after a boat had been put out into the deep, a large net would be thrown out from it and then dragged towards shore by the rowers in the boat, possibly with the help of a crew in another boat. The catch was sorted out on shore. Fishing was usually carried out at night when the coolness of the water brought fish closer to the surface and when they could not see the approaching net. So that was their former calling. That's what they're used to, and it's that imagery that Jesus is tapping into to now say, now, I'm sending you not out into the world, but, excuse me, I'm not sending you out into the water, I'm sending you out into the world. 
as fishers not of fish, but as fishers of men. I'm sending you out to draw others into my kingdom. Okay? That's the idea. I'm sending you out to draw people from one domain into another, from one kingdom into another. So to fish, in that context, it meant you had to go out to where the fish were. And if you're talking about fish and you're talking about night fishing and just all the dynamics, and you're saying, okay, well, you could actually put it this way. You're pulling the fish out of darkness into light. In the Jewish culture, the sea was understood to be a place of chaos and danger and judgment. And so the idea here is I'm sending you out to be fishers of men, pulling people from one domain to another, one kingdom to another, from, from darkness into light, from chaos into life. I'm sending you out to be fishers of men. What does it demand? Can you do it yourself? Do this as a solo project? No. No, and that's alluded to, maybe not so much here, but as you keep reading through the Mark's gospel and go other places as well. So it demands, it is certain, this is, this is under, understand that this venture of fishing in this era, in that culture, don't get the image of Andy Griffith and Opie sitting on the side of Lake, whatever that was, and just, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, just casting and casting. That's not this at all. This is shoulder to shoulder, a group relying on one another, uh, not a solo project at all. So, for instance, Mark chapter 6, Mark 6, verse 7. Sorry, AV people, I did not give this to you. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, and he called them, this is Jesus, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. So that's, there's something instructive there, right? Just, just right with that. He sent them out in pairs. He sent them out as teams to lean into one another, to learn from one another, to rely on one another, to pray for one another. There's something just right there that we ought to be paying heed to. But not just what, in terms of it demands, not, it demands not just that we look to and lean upon and rely upon one another, but even more so, Jesus himself. Mark 3. Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 13. And he went up, this is Jesus, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. A critical component is being with Jesus and his being with us in this work. Now, this is not Mark, where we're going next. This is Paul, 1 Corinthians. So, move out of the Gospels, move past Acts, move past Romans into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is the last of your sword drill. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. I'm just going to read one, the first half of the verse, one sentence. For we are God's fellow Workers. It's a profound statement. We are God's fellow workers. Now, bringing that back over to Mark 1, what, is, what are we bringing, pulling this together? 
Jesus is the one who brings in the catch. But he does it through us. That's not saying opposite things. Um, Simply speaking of means. Jesus brings in the catch, but he does it through us. This is his intention. This is what he intends to do and how he intends to do it. Okay, holiday season. We're just, you know, just moving into that territory. Carrie won't let us forget. Uh, We're moving into the holiday season, right? So here's your image. Here's your picture, okay? You've got a, a grandmother in the kitchen with a beloved grandchild, and they're going to make cookies together, okay? Now, I'm talking grandchild, say, five years old maybe younger, okay? How is this project gonna get done? I mean, really, really. Who bought the ingredients? Whose refrigerator is it? Whose mixer is it? Whose stove is it? Who's got the recipe book? Who knows how to read? Uh, who's tall enough to reach their hands up on the counter? I mean, all, you know, I mean, yes, of course, that beloved child does slap some icing down on those cookies and you know, throws down some, some sprinkles and whatever. But when the project is over and the presentation is being made and the grandmother and the grandchild come out into the living room, the grandmother's beaming, saying, we did it. But everybody knows (laughs) who did it. It's the child's privilege to work alongside his or her grandmother. It's a child's privilege to even be working in her kitchen. Transpose that over to this. It's the disciples' privilege to even be in Jesus' boat. It's the Disciples' privilege to be pulling on the nets even as he's pulling them in, bringing in the catch. That's our profound privilege. Ours is but to watch him, to look to him, to listen to him, to as the cast is taking place before and during and after, to ask for his help for a, mixing metaphors, fruitful yield, to a full catch, whatever your boat may be, whatever your body of water may be, wherever it is that, whatever it means for you to cast and whatever season or station of life that you find yourself in right now. Disciple of Jesus, do you know your privilege? You're in his boat. He's brought you in his boat to fish with him to fish with him. Mm. I will make you become fishers of men. This is his intention. That's his desire. It ought to be ours. But let me end with this. You may be thinking at this point, that's fine. Okay, got it. You've made really clear, maybe, you've made really clear what Jesus wants. 
what his desire for me is. So what? Why should you care what Jesus's desire for you is? Why does that matter? Why is it significant to know what Jesus's desire for you might be? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the significance of what Jesus wants is tied to the reality of who he is. Let me say that again. The significance of what Jesus wants is tied to the reality of who Jesus is. So who is he? Okay, family gathering. Here's another one, not grandmother and grandchild, but okay. You're, you're there together in the home. You've been in, let's say you've been invited into a home. It's not your home, it's holidays. You're there, you're invited guest, you're there. And then somebody just like walks in. Never seen them before. They walk in the house and they start moving furniture around. And they start painting walls and taking down pictures and moving furniture and pulling up carpet, knocking down walls. And you say to yourself, who is this? Well, you know daggone well it's not a guest. Because a guest has to ask permission to do stuff like that. The owner of the house just sees what needs to be done and does it. Jesus is not the guest of your house. He's not the guest in your life. If you're a follower of him, he's the owner. Moving the furniture, painting walls, pulling up carpet, maybe knocking down a wall. And he can do that because of who he is. He can do that because of who he is. Again, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This is his desire for us. May it be ours as well. Let me pray. Lord, you have made clear you are the one taking initiative in our lives. It's your call. The change, the transformation you made clear here also takes place surely but slowly in the sense of progression. And we see also clearly here your intention, what you intend to make of us and how to work in and through us. And Jesus, we need clarity on each one of these points. We really do. But we also need heart change such that your purposes and your priorities and your desires would become ours, that ours would take the back seat way in the back and yours would be chief over all. Lord, we confess this morning that as far as the alignment of our desires, that, that is as far as compared to yours, is partial at best. Would you please renew our sight? Would you please warm our hearts? 
Can we even say, would you revive us again? We pray in your name.